You're listening to the Double Scoop Podcast on KWNK 97.7 Reno Community Radio. I'm your host, Chris Wagner. Today, we have an awesome special guest, Luca Starmer, who is the multimedia specialist, a multimedia specialist at UNR Libraries, and also a good friend of mine. Luca is up to a cool secret project you probably have not heard of yet. He and his colleagues at UNR are making, well, they're making 3D scans of some of the state's most treasured craft and artifact items, and I'm going to let Luca tell you all about it. Hey, welcome to the studio. Hey, Chris. Glad you're here. Okay, fill us in. What is the secret project you're working on? What's it called? And who's involved? Yeah, so this is the early double scoop, early scoop of this project. About a year ago, I'm not sure that it has a name. If that's how early this is. I've been calling it the Native American Basketry Digitization Project, which is too much of a mouthful to be official. So we'll just go with that for now. But about a year ago, we started collaborating with the Anthropology Museum, Research Museum at the University of Nevada, Reno. And we found out that they have a vault full of Native American basketry. We wanted to make that vault of basketry accessible. And so we started 3D scanning the baskets into 3D objects that are interactive and can be seen online and in a virtual reality headset. And it's all gone from there. What are a few of the interesting things you found in this collection? So the collection, to to go to the beginning of it, was owned by this woman named Lulu K. Huber. She collected the basketry in the early 20th century, and she was just a collector, probably some rich white lady. And she had this great collection and at some point in her life gave it to the University of Nevada. In the 80s, when she passed away, her kids realized the value of that collection because they're baskets from not just the Great Basin in Nevada, but all over the West. And that collection, they, they wanted it back. And so they asked the university to give it back. And that's not really how things work when you donate a collection. And, you know, through some sort of negotiation, the anthropology department asked to basically had to purchase it back. So they did a huge fundraising campaign and were able to retain most of the collection. And so that collection, like I said, is it's in a vault. It spans over 28 to 30 tribes in the West. And they're baskets of all forms, basically created in the late 1800s to the mid 20th century. And they it's it was during a time when, especially in the early 20th century, when people were collecting baskets. So Native American basket weavers knew like what type of basket forms to create for basically like white people to buy at different shops, roadside shops and stops and things like that. Right. There was like a big, huge basket tourist trade around the 1920s, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I, you know, we're learning about none of us are anthropology experts or have a background. I have like a, a minor in it from college. But essentially, the arts and crafts movement was born out of England and people were really into these handmade goods like this at the time. And so the Native Americans realized this is a great way to make money. And so a lot of the baskets are actually just replica forms of baskets that had persisted for centuries and centuries 
prior to this. So like a burden basket would be this like three foot tall basket that they would collect their things in the fields and, and so on into then this collection contains burden baskets that are like one foot tall that are really ornate and beautiful but have and and have an aesthetic purpose but but no real pragmatic purpose so they're made to live on a wall in a collection in a house or a museum or something Mm -hmm. so one of the names that always comes up when we talk about basket making in Nevada is Datso Lali. She was a Washoe basket maker around the late 19th century, early 20th century, up until the 20s. Anybody who's ever driven up Center Street behind Junkie has seen there's a big picture of her. There's a mural painted on the back of the building. And her work is, was noted in the Nevada Museum of Arts Big Tahoe survey a few years ago. So I, I, think, I think that's a name that a lot of people know. And her, she had some pieces in this collection that you got to see and handle, right? Actually, her piece that we saw was part of the Nevada, Nevada Historical Society. It, it's not in the Lulu K. Huber collection. But when we started working with that collection with the Anthropology Research Museum, our digitization effort got onto the radar of the Nevada Historical Society, who has a few Datsalali baskets on hand. They reached out to us and said, we would love to see what you're doing and, and maybe do one of these digitizations with one of our baskets. And so through a process, we were finally able to 3D scan the basket. And their goal ultimately was to not only have a 3D rendering of the basket, but to be able to potentially 3D print the basket or a portion of the basket. So we've even experimented what that 3D printing looks like to just see the fine detail and be able to run your hands over like that really, really fine weave. I think she was known for something like 42 stitches per inch or something, which was unheard of before or since. Uh, And another interesting note about the Historical Society that I learned in the course of this project, they actually, in the 80s, had a a major theft of Datsalali baskets. They lost like three or four of them. And basically, somebody just came in during working hours. And at the end of the day, when they were closing up the museum, just realized that four baskets were missing. And then for years and years, they were searching for these baskets. And finally, over a process of time, like one at a time, art buyers refound them and then were able to, I think the, the Historical Society had to purchase them back as well. Was the crime solved? And they never found out who, sold, who, who got them because they changed hands so many times by the time we got to the art buyer that, yeah, like there's no record of, of how it was done. There was no video surveillance at the time still an unsolved mystery, but the baskets are returned, which is the most important part. What a story. Wow. Do you actually have little plastic 3D versions of Datsolali's baskets? I have one. Yeah. It's really crude looking compared to the actual like woven basket, this little plastic version of it. And then I have an enlarged test that we made of the th- of the side of the basket that's a little better fidelity. But you know, they're, they're, they're all disappointing because it's not as amazing as hand work, hand woven basketry. Yeah. It's also super blasphemous. I want to put, um, like a, a little like cactus or something in it and put, leave it in my office, but we haven't done that yet. Cause we're not sure if that's like kosher or cool or. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe that's not along the lines of the intent of the project. <laughs> You're listening to the Double Scoop podcast on KWNK 97.7. 
Reno Community Radio. I am your host, Chris Wagner. Lucas Stormer is in the studio today, the multimedia specialist at UNR Libraries, and he's giving us some updates on a project he's working on. He and his colleagues are making 3D scans of some of Nevada's treasured craft items, baskets, things like that, Native American baskets. The, uh, the Smithsonian recently released 1,700 3D scans into the public domain. And they're scans of things like sculptures and cultural artifacts from a few different museums around the world. I think like 12 or 13 museums. It seems like there's a general trend in museums to try to make things that are hidden away in archives more widely accessible to more people. And they went really far with this. They put up their 1,700 objects and they're allowing people to print them, use them, remix them into their own work. They're not asking for attribution at all. They're just like, here, have these items and do what you want with them. But that's really different than what you guys are doing, isn't it? It's a little bit different. You know, these baskets have a few different access points that we're working on. Currently, all the 3D models are viewable online at the Digital Collections website of the University of Nevada Libraries. If you were to search like UNR basketry libraries on Google, you would find them. You'd find the whole collection. And with your mouse on a desktop computer, laptop, or your phone or whatever, you can scroll around, zoom in, interact with the baskets that way. And so, and that was the point. We wanted to make the baskets accessible to anyone who's interested from like an anthropology research standpoint or like the actual tribal communities where these baskets came from. Yeah. Like that's a point of contention is that they live in this museum, not even on display and, and, people would love to see and learn from these baskets. So they're available online that way. And then the other thing that we do is put them into a virtual reality headset. And I imagine with the Smithsonian stuff, we could take those objects too, if they're downloadable, and put them on display in a similar museum and be able to pick them up and interact with them and play with them and toss them back and forth because you can't do stuff like that in a museum. No. And I, I tried it out. I looked at one of the baskets and I, with my mouse, I, I flipped it over and looked at the bottom and I could see the tight stitches you mentioned. And it was really cool. It was, it was definitely a more dynamic experience than looking at something that comes out of the archive every 50 years and looking at it through glass and, and just being able to see the top. It, it was fun. And I, as a like maker crafter, I, I was looking at it with that kind of point of view. Like, oh, oh I, like, I understand how this is woven a lot better than if I weren't moving it around with my mouse. Yeah, another thing that we learned, again, not basketry experts in any way, but Anna Camp down at the Nevada State Museum is, and we learned from her that the actual, like, really interesting thing to look at is, like, the start of the basket, such an important, critical point to the form and the shape of the basket that's ultimately going to make. You can see that start through the glass looking down into the basket, but it's really cool to be able to flip it over in your, your hand virtually and like closely look into that place where it starts and, and how that start happened and, and the shape that it starts to make. And you can't do that if you can't touch the basketry. That makes me think that this will be a great resource for art teachers and people who teach crafting classes and things like that. Yeah. One of the best current basket makers is a washerwoman named Sue Coleman. You know, we've been 
having conversations with her and she told us that like in order for her to like learn basketry and in baskets she hasn't made before she'll go to places like a museum and and just like she'll be able to reverse engineer it in her mind looking at these in a museum that's incredible oh that's fantastic have you learned anything about the baskets themselves or the traditions around them? You talked a little bit about the the marketing traditions. Is there anything else that you've learned from from researching these and, and dealing with them? Again, Sue Sue told us that like her mom would make these baskets and they would put their stuff in it, and that was it. wasn't it, They were beautiful baskets, and the basketry was a really refined art form, but it was still like a utilitarian thing in their house and. And she said, like she raised all she raised all her children by putting them in the cradle basket and like on her back, you know. And that's still practiced today. Your efforts to to three D scan these baskets and artifacts are part of a larger project, right? You're working on some documentary videos related to this too. Yeah, and that was important to us because we're not native. No one on our team is from any of the the native communities here. We're not anthropologists. And so we're just digitizing these baskets and then they go back into the vault and the digital version exists and that's where the project ends, right? So we wanted to be able to give some voice and some life to the actual tradition that's thousands of years old and and still being practiced to this day and being, you know, handed down and that the traditions being taught to one another. And so the only way to do that is through actually talking to people who do this. So that's was another opportunity that we had is to talk to the weavers in the Great Basin in, in our area. Who else have you talked to besides Sul Coleman? Well, there's this incredible group called the Great Basin Native American Basket Weavers Association. And that's headed by this woman named Leah Brady. And they get together a few times a year and basket weavers from all over the Great Basin get together and they learn a new weave or basket type and they bring their willows and it's kind of a social convening point too. That's a huge thing that's continuing this this tradition for everyone. So that's going to be one of our, our major like subject areas to see that interaction. That's pretty special. It sounds like your projects, your, both the 3D scanning projects and the video projects are, are pretty long-term and ongoing. But once these are all finished, what, uh, what will exist? What can the public see and where can we see it? We're certainly going to collaborate with the Native communities that are close to us and be able to have showings, certainly of the documentary, because they're the stakeholders, they're the voices in this in this piece, and we'll bring with us the virtual reality exhibit that we have. But uh, we're in the process of fundraising to be able to actually put virtual reality kiosks into these Native communities to make them accessible for everyone who's interested to be able to go put the headset on interact with the basket tree and and hopefully hopefully give energy and life to that tradition that is really neat and every time you tell me about a 3d a virtual reality project i'm surprised that there's this other audience for virtual reality like you've told me about it being used in news and in, in medicine and now in kiosks in native american communities where do you have any other surprises for me like how, how else is virtual reality being used locally right now or being researched locally every single i'd be hard pressed to find any school at the university of nevada that isn't using virtual reality in some touch point or another we host 
a VR meetup um, and AR meetup every year in the fall at UNR where the different researchers present what's going on in their research. And there's stuff in, in mining to, to improve mine safety using VR. There's stuff in psychology, in, in nursing, in the med school. And so there's stuff going on all the time. Our library ends up being like the convening point where we can share and learn what's going on in that realm. I can't emphasize enough that this is just a major digitization effort and it's I feel super fortunate to be able to learn about this tradition from a lot of different viewpoints and perspectives because the number one perspective that we come from is just like technologists and that can be limiting until you like open the doors and actually meet the communities where these artifacts come from and and start to really learn about them and why they're so important then it makes digitizing them seem more important. Is it getting your gears turning? Are you like lying awake at night thinking of other 3D scanning or VR projects you want to do having to do with art or creative things? Totally. I mean, in the library context, like being able to see objects in the VR headset is super cool. It's a whole nother way to build collections. People go to libraries and they look at the collections of books or photographs, all these things. And now we're part of this effort to, to be able to expand that infinitely to any material objects and so on. That sounds great. I can't wait to see what you come up with. Yeah, I can't uh, wait to share it. Okay, tell us one more time which website we should look at to see your work and is there any anywhere else we can follow your project yeah if people are interested in seeing this collection of basketry online you can just search unr digital collections the basket collection is one of many digital collections but it's right there in the front of the website and then when you select that you can look at any of these baskets there's just like a bunch of thumbnails and when it opens one then that basket is a three-dimensional object and you can use your finger or your mouse to like scroll, to turn it around, turn it upside down. It's also connected to like all this actual photography and metadata that anthropologists collected in the 80s about this basket. And it's really cool. Okay, we're looking at it right now on Luca's phone and I can tell you for absolute certain I'm going in a research hole as soon as I get back to my desktop. Gonna happen. Cool. Thank you so much, Chris. Thank you for joining us in the studio, Luca. It's been great having you here. Yeah, we'll have to give you an update when we're uh, further along. You caught us in the, in the middle of something really cool. You've been listening to the Double Scoop podcast on KWNK 97.7, Reno's fabulous community radio station. Double Scoop is the news site that covers the visual arts in Nevada. I'm your host, Chris Wagner. Luca Starmer has been our guest. Thanks to Greg Gilmore for the music clip. Thanks for listening.